This is Pain Refrain. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Pain Refrain. We are so pumped to have Dr. Lisa Holland on the show. Lisa, do you mind kind of giving all of our listeners just a little bit of orientation as far as where you are geographically, what you're into professionally, and then we'll dive into some of the whole person and spiritual side of healing chronic pain. Thank you so much, guys, for having me on. Yeah, I am in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I have been here with a uh, integrative practice since 2005. I moved down from New York with 10 years of orthopedic sports PTATC under my belt and decided I was going to stay at home mom because I was burnt out from that. And in a year, created the Belly Guru. And because uh, I'm much better doing other things than just staying at home. I found that out very quickly. And then I really, you know, that was a that was a model that was very focused on utilizing the modality of yoga that I had started utilizing up in New York with specific populations. Multiple sclerosis is one of them and then the pediatrics and some geriatrics in the nursing home. And I really saw that as something that could really tap into my desire to somehow figure out how to bring the mind and body work together that I found was so helpful and restorative for my own work postpartum. And so I opened up this center. I opened it up uh, too big and with no models and in this completely brand new crazy thing of a cash-based thing before there was anybody really doing that. So I didn't really know what I was doing. And uh, after a year and a half, pulled back and went into micro practice within other practices and sort of navigated my way, went back into a bigger practice. And then... Around 2013, I really felt a calling to expand in some way, but I didn't want to do it. I was going to do it the traditional way of split into a bigger center and this and that, but I really didn't like managing a lot of people. And I had in-house trained my yoga therapist because it's very based in, in, in yoga and really created my own model of that that was conscious, uh, what probably more towards what yoga therapy is now evolving into, which is its own practice of understanding the Western science and the medicine and the philosophy and the diagnoses coming in as you're applying some of the Eastern Ayurvedic applications to the practice of, of this holistic model. And really it's a life coaching. And so I, my center honestly had, I had a before I closed the brick and mortar and went online with some things, I had a, it was called Omtastic Healing Program. And it was a three-month program where you met with me. I was the gatekeeper. And uh, it was looking for people who had gone, you know, they were, I tended to always get people who were persistent pain, persistent inflammation. I work in women's health, switched over to that when I opened up my practice as my main focus. So, you know, you have the autoimmune, you have the kind of the things that are the fibromyalgia stuff that's not really getting 100% better. And I had a, you, you met with me, but I basically set you up with a one time with a life coach, because I was not as much into straightforward life coaching as I am now. I set you up with the a social work counselor, and I set you up with uh, getting massages. And we talked about, I was already getting into some like health coach, just from the yogic perspective of clean eating, you know, lifestyle medicine. And I made this system and it was very, very helpful. And I have since moved some things online. And that's where I was as I was becoming sort of a mentor on the biz start of the brand 
help because I had done this years before and then it started getting popular and people started asking me so many questions. And to be perfectly honest, I've been a PT since 97, January 97, I got my licensure after school and I was an ATC before that. So I kind of migrated towards that mentoring role as we all do. And, uh, but I didn't want to be a teacher. I didn't want to be in education per se and research in that type of thing. I still want to be out there with my hands on people and creating. So that's really where I am right now. I've I've developed now this. I had that life school in in-house. And when I went online and shifted over to learning a lot of online digital marketing, how to package myself, do some programming for a couple of years and really came back trying to bridge build a lot between the physio yogis and the physical, the International Association of Yoga Therapists that I had been involved in as that grew into a profession of its own as it is right now. And the physical therapists who I saw were getting a little bit more holistic, going into health coaching. And I saw this greater model to talk about the way I worked with pain. So that's really what landed me, I think, back in the world of physical therapists and talking on podcasts and doing some of these things and led me to moving from teaching yoga teachers how to be yoga teachers to what I'm trying to do right now, which is get licensed providers or certified providers, people working in the professional realm, a lot better skills in coaching and not just health coaching, because really that's its own entity, but literally coaching skills, motivational interviewing, psychosocial assessment, things you don't have to, you're not, you're not doing any diagnostics in any way. You're literally helping people live their life, which I feel is really what we're trying to do with the whole functional medicine thing. But nobody's actually, nobody actually knows how to coach people on their life. <laughs> and it's not counseling. It's not that you need, it, it, it is coaching. It's, it's reflection. It's a lot of what we do in yoga outside off the mat which is really seven eighths of the practice, but you would never know it by the way it's sold. And I'm bringing that into mainstream. So that's kind of, I think, how you guys kind of found or crisscrossed with my program, the Integrative Life Coaching for Healers, which is in beta right now and I'm developing. Love it. Yeah, love it, Lisa. I mean, yeah, I see your content all over. I mean, you've got podcasts, you're on podcasts, like your voice is, is very well widespread across the profession, which is wonderful. And one way that it kind of resonates with me is, I guess, this more look at, like you said, this integrative mind-body perspective, you know, this holistic approach that, you know, Tim often reminds us on the podcast that we've got to at some point go back and remember that we're healers, that we're walking with people, that, you know, there's something deeper than maybe the reductionist approach that Western medicine has taken. And I guess what I would love for you to vent on a bit, if you'd be willing, is, you know, what are we missing in the sort of traditional, you know, Western biomedical approach? I mean, when you look at that and you're trying to integrate both sides, what are the main things you think that we are lacking in coming alongside folks who have chronic pain? Great question. Thank you. It really is. We have got to understand you are your roots the problem with allopathic philosophy is that it we have to understand where it came from. And it came, when it came in, it came in at a time where, yes, there was disease and all of this. It was germ warfare. And when we found the germ, we decided as human beings, we tend to do, we kind of just like, Ooh, shiny new object. And you would like just jump. And then everything else before that is like forgotten. And 
there was, we have got to admit, there was a huge corporate push. The people that were the heads of the very first medical schools were the the Dukes and the, you know, Vanderbilts and the, everybody that was on the Titanic and everybody who had a lot of money. They were all the boards of these first medical schools. And their philosophy was surgery, pharmaceuticals, and, you know, some sort of fighting mentality, this, this, this broken piece and a very external thing. And that has stayed the, you know, that's, that's our root. That's our seed. And the Eastern philosophy is a different approach. It's, it, and, and we see it even in our education system. In Western education, we kind of like have this teacher who tells us everything and we're just supposed to believe it and then tell everybody that's the way it is. In Eastern, as in Eastern medicine, it really is about self-reflection and attunement with the world around you and the world inside of you. I mean, that's just the way it is. Even in their education, it's like, we're going to experience stuff. I'm going to tell you information. Then you're supposed to go out and prove or disprove me. Western education kind of is like, you know, your teacher gets, I mean, I was, I, I was bullied several times in physical therapy school because I kind of had my approach and I was like, I hear what you're saying about the joint mode and, you know, is it, you know, three versus four graded mode, but like, does it really matter? You know, like I would say something like that, like, does it really matter at that point if the person is like, I'd bring something out of left field, like really not believing that you're, you're going to do anything for them or something. Cause I had already been practicing some yoga and I had already been reading these like different books. So I think that's one of our biggest problems is just our inherent philosophy on who is the one that's fixing whom and where, how does this happen? And we really need to take a step back and say, our technology is wonderful, but we really have eliminated a lot of the germs. So what is left? And it is that sense of where does life come from? How are we living? What actually remains us being healthy instead of of let's just make sure when we get sick and ex- and then get us ourselves sick <laughs> that we have something that can cure it or whatever. It's, it's just the idea of curing. There is no curing in Ayurveda. There is, or even Chinese medicine, it's just, and it's also about energy. For some reason in the Western model, we quickly looked at people putting people in solariums and taking roots from trees and making tonics and having, you know, midwives in a, in a birthing room or just sisters and mothers with you as you birthed in a very vulnerable, scary time. We looked at that as some sort of primitive garbage. And in that, we lost that sense of self and self-accountability. We're yelling at all these people. Why can't they take self-accountability? Why do they have low self-efficacy? Why do we... Because we had a whole generation or two generations of, of, of authoritarian dictatorship in our healing and health system. They're exactly what we made. Yeah, I would agree strongly with you, Lisa, this idea of it's a system-wide, it's a cultural-wide phenomenon when, again, that we have taught a society that you are, when ill, that it requires intervention doing on to you. I mean, I see glimmers of that is changing. I really do see the pendulum mm-hmm. swinging, but clearly, you know, we have 
we've created a system. And to me, I look back in the 90s as big part of the, the really hard swing when pharmaceuticals were allowed to advertise on TV, just yeah. which was just out of, it's crazy to think about, you know, the only country in the world, I believe, that where we have that, you know, we basically- in Britain. Yes, oh, Britain does now. I didn't realize you could. Yeah, Britain, well. and we're the two the two highest with the worst maternal health outcomes and overall health per capita of spending. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and it's just absolutely insane, right? You know. So again, but that just facilitated this idea that if there is something amiss, then something external must be provided in order to help or heal that. It's multi-layered, but I do, you know, I do remain hopeful that again, it, the pendulum has gotten so far that we've, we now, there are people that are seeking definitely in healthcare, but also outside of healthcare, patients have realized that, man, they've tried this stuff and it clearly, they are not better off. And when you ask that question, all this journey you've been on, do you feel healthier and more vi uh, more vibrant than you did before you actually encountered the medical system? I often ask that with the first time I see a chronic mm -hmm. persistent pain patient. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm curious, in your new role, so you're pushing out into the healthcare provider role and trying to, again, I guess, coach them to mm -hmm. begin becoming more aware of their, their skill set and the right skill set in interviewing and working with patients with persistent problems. Is that correct? Yeah, basically. And again, it's kind of like a, just a shift in paradigm. When I, you know, really got into why yoga was helpful and, and as that evolved from a teaching to a therapy framework, the interview is very much about the person and finding out the constitution of the person. And it's not that we did, we ignore the disease. Of course, we need to know the parameters, but it was just this mindset, which I had not been learning, you know, in my education where we're going to match and we're going to meet the, the constitution of the person as opposed to worrying about what we're doing because of this disease. And the only place I really honestly saw this, which is why I was like, ah, oh, you know, like this is smart, is in when I was had my undergrad in athletic training. My education, and I don't know if it was just, I'm going to give kudos to Hofstra University out on Long Island in New York, or if it was everywhere, but, but my teachers were very much about, look, if you've got an athlete that's hurt, we've got to figure out, like, it's a game in their head. And we've got to put them on the bike or put them in the pool or do something because we cannot, they, they will lose their performance on the field if they get out of the game in their head and they get really kind of, and when I went into physical therapy school after, I was just so like taken aback that like, that was so abstract from them. You know, it was, it was so not there. And so, yeah, so it, it, I always sort of said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure out a way to do this. And I, and I did, I brought it into, you know, I was, I was the crazy one bringing the physio ball up on the acute care floors to the 68 year old that had a stroke. And they're like, why are you taking a physio ball there? And I'm like, cause we're going to play, you know, we're going to play. I'm going to figure out when this person felt like they're going to go back to then. You know, I'm going to find when they felt vital and fun and we're going to figure out how to play with a ball. Everybody, every kid played with a ball. I'm going to figure out how to play with a ball with them, you know. So I think always remembering pediatrics and why pediatrics works because you're working that way. 
they don't really care about two sets of 10 or what they're a band they're working on or what tape you're putting on them or, and they have pain, but they don't necessarily perceive suffering because all the adults around them are telling them how to suffer in a less suffering way. And yet somehow when we get to 18 years old, all the providers switch their modality and they decide that we're going to just focus on your suffering and we're going to totally focus on how we eliminate that suffering. And then we're going to keep talking about your suffering and where you're broken. And it's just like, it's just an abstract. I, I never, something in me <laughs> just never bought into that. And that's why I struggled in, in mainstream therapy. And I went off and did my own thing and went rogue so soon, which I found, I mean, it took me 10 years, but it was way before a lot of other people were doing it. I just, I never made sense to me because it was so different than how people got to the Olympics. And I was like, why are we not getting the stroke patient to the Olympics of their life? I love it. So Lisa, one of my big questions for you, because I struggle with this question myself, is that when you look at people who are in a tough spot, they've got legitimate ongoing chronic pain. And by no means do I want to make them sound like a homogenous group. I realize everybody right. comes to that place differently, but there are a lot of them. And a lot of their stories do have a lot of similarities. And I guess my question to you as somebody who has sort of done it all, I mean, from the ATC to being an actual practice to being in yoga practice, to doing coaching, like, I mean, you really have done pretty much it all. Where do you think on the whole people should start. You know, everyone's jockeying for their attention. You got get PT first, you've got ads everywhere. Everybody wants to service them. But where do you think people who are in that sort of dark place, having a hard go and trying to find a way out of all the places you've been, where do you recommend most of them begin their journey? The patient themselves. Mm -hmm. First, right. They need to change the vernacular. I'm not a patient. I'm going to be a client of whomever I'm working with ah. and I'm going to buy, right. I'm going to decide what I'm going to spend my money on, <laughs> whatever, even if it's just who I'm going to give my card to. I think across the board, we need to, as a society, explain at all levels, like to our children, as we're growing up in our health classes, trauma, and everyone needs to understand trauma sensitive just understand trauma. And I really like, I don't know if any of you are familiar with Gabor Mate's work on trauma and uh, he works a lot with addiction. And for me, honestly, addiction and pain, the more and more I get into it, because like you said, yes, I've run it all from mind and body trying to figure out how I can make this a Western model that's not necessarily me becoming a psychologist and then a biologist and then all of these other things just so I have permission to talk. The idea that uh, Gabor says trauma is a disconnection is a momentary disconnection of the self like this momentary because of whatever's happening you're getting shot you got um, your leg broke you have extreme pain extreme fear of survival or or some sort of dismemberment or something disfigurement something going on at that time and the problem is when you don't come back to the self you kind of get lost and stuck and then there's this big gap between who you see yourself as now and who the person is you want to be in the future because i think a lot of those people you're talking about, which is what I work a lot with in my life coaching program, is us understanding how to motivationally interview to actually get a sense of how big that gap is on that person. Because I think a lot of us come in with this vision of the other person all fixed up and all back on the court and all walking and back with their back to work and all of this, whatever their life. And for that person that is maybe in this sort of distrusting, disconnected sense of who their identity is at that time, post-trauma, whether it be physical, mental, 
psychological, whatever, it's too big of a gap. And, and especially if they come with these determinants of health that we see are, you know, more likely, you know, a, a socioeconomic type of uh, certain um, exposure to violence in their ACE scores and things like that. If they're coming already with a very fractured sense of self awareness, self, I mean, for, for literally for survival, if we go back to Maslow's hierarchy of, of needs, which are motivational needs for survival, and they're not feeling safe, and they're not feeling connected, and then you're talking about this other person that they don't even feel like they ever could be, it's very different, right? Because we don't see so many athletes and, and people who are really productive in society or well-supported in society. We don't see them getting as stuck after their traumas. And we can keep saying it's because they had the best doctors and the best access. I don't think it's that. I think it's helpful, obviously. The faster you get into things, the more well-learned you're, and, and, and the more the providers are loving their work and the way that they work is, is important in bringing their mindset to the work and the person and not their stressors. But I think the people themselves have become very traumatized and very low resiliency, it, just in general just people in general. And so that's, I feel like people have to sort of say, how can I become a more resilient person? And whoever that person is for them, that might be your church, your pastor, that might be your a counselor, psychology. I, I really think it's very, it's very ignoring of the research for any body working focused biomechanical practitioner not to have some sort of mental health even if it's in some sort of just interview like I had where you met at least once and got their opinion on the whole picture. I don't know how they're going to do that, but someplace like one of the people who just went through the beta of mine is a, uh, he works at a, at a, they have a pain clinic and it's well supported. And so he doesn't necessarily have to worry about, you know, not ha getting paid for the care he's giving, but he went into my program because, you know, all that pain science and this and that, but he's working with very, low socioeconomic advantaged people who kind of feed into their own self, you know, lack of self-worth. So it's almost like they can't hear us when we're sowing so much attention and care, even if we have all this money behind us, because they don't see themselves that way. You can't, you can't love somebody who doesn't love themselves, if you can understand that. So I really think we really need to, this is, again, this, like Tim is saying, it's a whole systemic thing. Where do we start now is, we as practitioners need to really, you're going to talk about biopsychosocial, you're going to, you're going to preach that, you better learn how to psychosocial because you don't, if you just know the bio, you're just not, you're putting a bandaid on. You need to admit that. And if you're just psychosocial, you need to get this person moving. You need to get them integrate the way we work as human beings. So we need an integrative model and people need to take some sort of Whatever helps them get back, like Gabor says, to lessening that gap and that sense of self, they need to know where they are right now and accept that. And then they'll be able to utilize these things. And we kind of have to triage it during that time. We have to understand our limits. We have to sometimes say, you know what, I think we've gone as far as we've gone here. We need to bring in so-and-so. We need to bring in the psychologist or we need to bring in the this. It can't. What we've been doing is I think we need to go back to the doctor and get a bigger opioid, get a stronger opioid because uh, we're to the point where it gets really sucky and you're really starting to see where you had a big part of you know letting this go and we can't talk about that because I'm not a psychiatrist. So we're just going to, you know, whatever. I'm going to keep cranking on your knee and then I'll get frustrated you don't show back up. 
and then you'll drop out and you'll always have a limp and you'll be self-serving saying you can't go back to work that way. That's it. You mentioned trauma and I, I definitely see that much and of course that's such a broad broad term Mm -hmm. and and again it depends when we lack resilience at certain points and certain points in our life we're less resilient than Mm -hmm. others and if you know that quote the trauma arises during that point you know it may have a very different effect than at a different point in our life when we have a support system where or it's in within a team environment and it's not the same trauma will have a very little effect. So I guess what I've found is this, that, you know, those stories take time to emerge, you know, I mean, and that's, I think, the other problem with a system that, especially working with longer standing problems, you, you, as a provider, we can't expect to figure it out in that first session. It takes time but unless there's trust established in that first session, then you'll never be able to get to really the essence of the of why they continue to do feel unwell and continue to maybe do harmful things to themselves. So I, do you have any strategies, I guess, that you've developed to kind of get to the essence of the problem or the source quicker. And again, I know many things are multifactorial, but so mm-hmm. many times it comes, there was, oh yeah. And they start describing an event, a time, a period in that in their life. And then you, the story starts to emerge and they begin to see from themselves uh, why some of their choices they've made may have been you know, rational to protect them from further, further trauma. Yes, thank you very much. I do. I actually, that's what I've been on search for. <laughs> um, how do I, and it doesn't take me as long. That's what I'm going to say, because I utilize some technology. I literally give, uh, I used to have in that program I described, and now I use it a little bit more judiciously depending on where we're working in it. But I do know, I can know in my first session, the person's behavioral style and their core motivators because I give them and debrief them on, I, I, I give them a psychosocial assessment, a, val- a reliable algorithmic questionnaire that is researched to bring up, you know, certain behavioral profiles. I know their personality. I also have skills from the, again, that Eastern model of understanding people's constitutions and, and kind of, it's sort of looking at their personalities in terms of, we, we kind of look at it again in sort of natural type of ways, but being a little bit more rajasic, being a little bit more fiery, being a bit more um, inflammatory in general. We look as physical therapists at objectives like that. This is all the layers, right? I'm not going to judge anybody, but when I do an assessment, it really is this psychosocial, biopsychosocial assessment. And I get a profile on them and then I motivationally interview that that behavioral profile tells me how to communicate with them. So I'm not speaking to somebody with a knee or chronic back problem. I'm speaking to somebody who has a a dominant personality or I'm speaking to somebody who's a has high, you know, is it likes to be an influencer or steadiness personality or compliance. Compliance personalities are great. They're our best clients. Right. They're they're going to do whatever the hell we say. But I'm speaking. So I'm speaking to them the way not the way I speak. I'm speaking to them the way they need to hear. 
So that's what I'm training people through my life coaching program is how to get those skills. Those are true coaching skills. That's not something we learn in any sort of treatment thing. So when they're telling me stuff and I'm asking pinpoint questions, first of all, I really never talk about pain. I just talk about what is interfering with the things they want to do. I say very functional, you know, functional oriented in my language, which I think we learn. That's one technique you have to, you have to figure out how do I do a pain? How do I help their pain, which is their complaint without actually talking about pain, but talking about the suffering and perceptions of the world around them and what's going on in them and that sort of conversation. But yeah, that's, I mean, that, that's my trick is I, I used to be able to do that in a month of working with them, figuring them out, asking some questions, this and that. And then once I became certified in behaviors and motivators and actually axiology as well, just this own little conversation we can have, but I actually had some objective measures that I could layer on with these other Eastern looking and Western looking objectives. And from there, have a conversation where they would get the trust because they were hearing what they needed to, not just what they needed to hear from me, but in the way that they were understanding. Because you cannot talk to somebody, the home exercise program or what you're gonna tell them after that first session when they are a person who's biased towards return on investment and, has a very steadiness personality is not the same thing as somebody who's a dominant personality with a return, a high return on investment core motivator style. You don't say the same. One of them, you kind of are like, okay, buddy. So what do you feel something you can do right now? You know, from what you've said, da, 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 you know, you have these three things that, of one, two, and three, which of these things do you think that you can go with for the next week and be like a rock star with it? and feedback and tell me how that went. That would be that dominant high return on investment personality. That same need for me to give them a home exercise program if they are of, let's say, a steadiness. Steadiness personality is somebody who really likes, is more people-oriented, not as task-oriented, and really wants to know what their part in the whole team thing is. And But they're also maybe high motivators of return on investment. So I may say to them, okay, we gonna we're, what we're going to do is here you're going to you're going to be the person you know I really firmly believe you're the person in charge of you know you're the CEO of this healing right now okay and what I'm going to do is I'm the guide I'm the well-versed guide and I'm going to need some feedback from you so how about between here and here which one of these two things you 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 feel like you know you feel uh, better at that CEO role of right now from what we learned about which one do you feel more skilled at and then they tell me and I say, okay, so from that, do you think you can, you know, we can email each other or whatever. You can send me a, a feedback on Wednesday. I'll follow up with you if I don't hear your, get your email and you tell me what's going on with that and how that's helping your, how that's helping you. And if anything's going on with that, that we could tweak it for the rest of the week before I see you next week. So those are two different conversations, but I'm talking to each person with who they are and they both have a back pain. Lisa, I love hearing you rap on this because those nuances of identifying those characteristics and being willing to meet that person where they are, I mean, that is the art of what makes that healer at a very different level. Now, I'm just going to call this episode one right now because we're going to have to kind of come to a close, but this needs to be a whole nother conversation because this idea of really identifying these behavioral patterns and changing your language is a conversation we have to dive deeper into. So I'm going to bug you for a second episode, but before you leave on this one, Lisa, can you spend a few minutes and really let, so we have 
we have a bunch of patients, providers, varying clinicians, MDs, DOs, PTs, DCs, very wide audience that takes in this show. Can you let them know sort of what you offer for each of them as far as, you know, patients who are having a hard time, who are needing coaching, providers who are looking to maybe help you grow them? Can you just kind of lay out what you offer for these folks and where to find that, those programs and information? Yes, thank you very much, Jeff, for that opportunity to connect. I can work, what I do is uh, if you enter in with me from, and I don't have a lot of slots of this because I really am, I feel like that's, this time it's time for me to pass the baton. And particularly to the physical therapists and yoga therapists, I really want them having these skills because their professions need it. But if you were to work with me through my um, bellyguru.com, you know, you click on or whatever, I... I don't see you per session. We have a consult, a clarity consult. We see if we're a good match. We see where you're at. And I offer you variations of my system, a one month, a three month, a six month journey, you know, where we think we're at. And we get into that type of mentorship, life mentorship, health mentorship, physical body healing mentorship. It kind of is, you know, let's figure out really where we need to go with changing it first. Because again, some people do need like a lifestyle detox first before they can even get in the headspace for the changes. You can't just, you know, in my health coaching, they were like, oh, you just put everybody on like a big, you know, detox diet and you take everything away from them. And then you see, I'm, I'm like, wait a minute, this is insane. Like, that's really hard for people who are already been in pain for years, you know? So sometimes we have to do that. So that's, they can, they can contact me at bellyguru.com on there if they want that. Everybody else who's looking professionally at all levels right now, my beta had an MD who went into research, who is now becoming a yoga therapist and uh, the straightforward, you know, doctor of physical therapy, academic teacher who runs a pain clinic. So that's Dr. Lisa Holland, PT.com. And there is, is um, the Integrative Life Coaching Program, which is specifically this. Or what I put on there also is um, just the motivators and behaviors for them to kind of just get their own assessment and report and learn about these things I was just talking about, not necessarily going through to gain these skills just yet, but actually be coached by me, understand their behaviors and motivators. That's the trick. We as providers need to start being the the people that get this stuff down in ourselves and then teach it, which is something that's very big in the Eastern model. The, the guy at the head of the, you know, karate or yoga or whatever, they went through it. And there's not a lot of uh, physical therapists, physicians, nurses that have gone through some of these things. They should because three or 400 physicians are committing suicide each year, but they don't. So they, that, that's that process. If you're not looking to go through it, <laughs> through my programs yet, then the behaviors and motivators that's on Dr. Lisa Hahn PT, that, that assessment, that little mini five-day course is probably the best place to start, along with just you know having a clarity consult with me to see where you're at. Love it, Lisa. Well, thank you so much. I mean, your voice, as always, is so refreshing and needed. So really appreciate you carving out time to be here with Tim and I. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the work you're doing, getting in front of everybody to have these conversations. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Perfect. 
Well, folks, welcome back to another episode of Pain Reframe. Dr. Jeff Moore here with my friend and colleague, Dr. Tim Flynn. Extremely excited to have Dr. Lisa Holland on the show. So many of you know Lisa. She has been on any number of podcasts. She has her own podcast. Um, she has bellyguru.com. She is empowering patients and, and clinicians all across the world and finally had a chance to get her on the show to really chat about how she is working on coaching up clinicians to integrate Eastern and Western philosophy. And she has done both. She has taught both. She has learned both. And she is such a unique voice in this challenging integration process. And I think she's someone that the world really needs to hear, especially at this time. You are going to love this episode. Lisa is incredibly energetic and entertaining. So please get ready for Dr. Lisa Holland. Wow, what a great episode. I mean, I could listen to Dr. Lisa talk all day about not just figuring out what patients need to hear, but really identifying certain characteristics about where they're at to figure out how they need to hear it. I think that is some of the nuance that we fail to really explore in our constant search for the answer. We don't think enough about how that answer needs to be relayed to the patient. And obviously, Lisa is just a tremendous wealth of information on using motivational interviewing and figuring out those those exact nuances. We are going to have a round two because there is simply too much to unpack with Dr. Lisa Holland. So thanks everybody for being here. As always, ispinstitute.com. Find Tim and I on social media. We have a lot of podcasts up and running now. Um, we have a lot of guests in the tank and we have a lot of fuel coming down. So, so many voices in the wilderness coming together, folks. It's an exciting time. Everybody have an awesome rest of your day. Pain Reframed is brought to you by our sponsor, the International Spine and Pain Institute. Check out their transformative pain science programming at ispinstitute.com.